Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So friends, uh, I, I, you know, we're taking a, a, a one-day hiatus from our um, uh, sermon series, uh, What is the Church of Christ? And then it's going to evolve here in a few weeks to what about the Church of Christ and, and what, it, what it actually means and what it is. Because I think in our society, uh, we've, well, here's what's happened. Society has evolved, but the church hasn't. I mean, if, if you look on the street, you can see that's true. Talk to any pastor, they'll tell you, well, I, there are some churches and pastors that are way behind, and they don't, they're going to stay right where they are no matter what, and that's, it is what it is. Uh, a number of years ago in the Wesleyan Church, we had uh, a training called Leadership Development Journey. Uh, some of you may have remembered that. I've been around a long time, so uh, I don't know. Pastor Bob, do you remember that when we started it? It's, it's a long time ago. And the, the idea was to bring all the churches together in every uh, district and make, create zones and, and to have pastors get together and, and pray together, talk together, talk about the issues and problems that they're having um, and how to move the church from mediocrity and being mired in, in, in historical things and move forward into not only today, but for the future. Because to tell you the truth, we're even teaching seminarians today not how to pastor the church of today, but the church of yesterday. And that church is long gone. It's, it, it's never going to be back. We need to start teaching them how to pastor church of tomorrow. Because before you know it, tomorrow's here. See? So we have to change. And things that I never thought would happen are happening. Things that I thought we would have forever, we don't do anymore. And I had to relearn how to pastor. And I'm having to relearn how to preach, too. Because society is shifting so quickly that I don't know where it's going. And so uh, in this leadership development journey, we found that there were a lot of churches and pastors that didn't want anything to do with it because it required them to change. And they weren't going to do it at all. They wouldn't remove the King James from their pews or let people use anything else, and they, they condemned anybody that used anything but a King James. Uh, they didn't want to uh, do their services differently, and then they would look at their services and see they only had older folks and no young folks coming in, and they wondered why. It's pretty simple why. Okay? Now, I'm not ready to, you know, uh, open up everything and say, okay, that's what we're going to cater to, only younger folks. In fact, I've tried real hard to try to keep it even keeled, okay, and to try to please as much as I can. But I think the more meaningful thing is our eyes focus on the Savior. Do we love Christ? And because we love Him, do we love one another? And will we love those outside of our congregation and know that they ought to be here? These are the things we have to focus on. We're too worried about how the message is delivered, okay, how long it is, the music we sing, and the style of it, okay? Or how we do church. And friends, 
That's just, I mean, I, I, as I look at the Acts, it had nothing to do with it. Zero. So God didn't create that. We did. So to me, we've got to change who we are and how we are because we're not going to be influential on a world where wrong seems right if we're not focused here. So that's what we're going to have to do. So today, the message I have for you is different than I've ever done. This is my outline. I don't really have one. It's just a reminder. And this, this scares the snot out of me because I have a lot of things I want to say. And uh, I said, God, okay, that's fine, but it's going to be on you. It's on you. And so in the course of things I was doing, I noticed that in the church we have some pushback with one another. When we don't like something someone else is doing or we don't like things they say or we don't work with them well or somebody does this or somebody doesn't do that or who knows, we start to get very defensive. Have you noticed that? And we get very upset. Okay, some people will walk out, some people will not come back, some people will go somewhere else, and then over uh, several weeks, people say, where's so-and-so, what happened? And then, because they want us to chase them. So we ask them, what's wrong? And as I look at that, I think, that's not Christ-like. Not the attitude that they displayed, and not the attitude that we're displaying. It doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on, or what part of it you had, none of that is Christ-like. Okay, because we're focusing on self when we do that. And we can say, but, but, but this and but so-and-so, it, do, it doesn't matter. None of that matters, not this much, because Christ could have said the same thing when he's being persecuted right before the cross, and he didn't. He was the God of the universe. And he could have called legions of angels by Satan's own admission, but he didn't. Did he deserve that? No. But he did what he had to do. He did what he's called to do. But we will say, oh, but, 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 but. Because we think we deserve whatever it is we're seeking. You're going to hear in the message today that maybe not. <laughs> and I'm talking to myself as much as I am to you. Because if you think pastors don't get their feelings hurt, guess again. Toughest job I've ever had for a variety of reasons. And as the church continues to change and people are more and more self-centered, well, you tell me what's going to happen. So before we get started today with what I have to say, I'm going to show you a video of a Roman Catholic priest by the name of uh, Pastor Larry Richards, or Father Larry Richards. He is a, a priest uh, in Pennsylvania, and he is a, a football coach and a teacher at a, at a uh, Catholic school that's for all boys. Um, and, and he, <laughs> I, I hope you have a uh, uh, thick skin today because he, he puts it right on the line. He's a little vulgar at times, but his message is undeniable. And I, I don't know it's ever, ever been done. In fact, I asked another Wesleyan pastor, do you think a Catholic priest has ever spoken in Wesleyan church? Course? I don't know. Uh, but I love the message, um, and I, I, think, I think you will see the value of it. He's speaking to a men's uh, conference at Xavier University, and it is filled with all different types of guys from all different ages. I wish I could show you the whole thing, but it's just too long. It's like an hour. Uh, and at the beginning, he's hilarious of some things that he says. He has these guys in stitches. Uh, but at the end of this thing, well, in the middle, you'll see that the guys are just like, uh, they don't know what to make of them because he's like in their face. 
This is the scripture. He goes, I don't care. He said, you might not like my personality. You might not like the way I deliver the message, but it's the truth. And I don't care if you like it or not. And I thought, man, that's my kind of guy. Okay, you know what it is. And so I was like, I, I was glued to it. I couldn't get away from it. And then at the end, these guys don't know how to deal with them. But at the end, they stand up and give him a, a, a standing ovation because he resonated with them. And it's hard, you know, when you go, it's like I told Jonathan this morning, when you go back to Scripture, how do you argue it? Okay, so let's listen to Father Richards. Go ahead. Fix of a man suffering because that's estovir. That's what it is to be a man. To give your life away for others, huh? Now, we don't do this perfectly. In fact, the, 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 the words estovir comes from the Old Testament. It's from King David. It's the last words King David said to his son Solomon before he died, right? Now, when you come to David, David's a good guy for men because he was very real. And I don't buy this la-la stuff where people pretend to be all holy. I don't buy it. I never have and I never will because usually they're hiding something. So they're trying to be holy, holy. King David... The word David means what, do you know? Beloved of God. And King David was by God's account, here is a man after my own heart who will do my will. Huh? Even later on, Paul, when he talks about David, says, King David is a man after God's own heart. And yet, King David was a murderer. He was a rapist. He was very selfish, you know, all these things, an adulterer, he was very lust-filled, and yet the God of the universe says, here is David, a man after my own heart. And today we call David, Saint David, huh? So we're talking about what it is to be a man. And to be a man, first of all, you got to be real. You got to be who you are. Huh? <laughs> now, sometimes that's problematic. You know, when I go around places, sometimes I'll get letters and say, Father, I really don't think I like your personality. Well, so, <laughs> you know what it is. This is who it is. This is who I am. Some people might, might want me to be gentle, kind, and loving. I'm proud, arrogant, aggressive. And yet, God calls me to be a saint. Each one of you here are going to be called to be saints in different ways. And we got to acknowledge that. And the number one way we're called to be saints is to lay down our life. Huh? It's an altogether different way of living life. So, to get the example of that, what we have to do, we have to go to the Word of God. So, please open your Bibles with me now. Gentlemen, open your Bibles. Let's see your Bibles. How many got Bibles? I'm so glad our Protestant brothers joined us today. So, the rest of you, you're going to hell. So, I'm just telling you now. When you go over, open your Bibles. Gentlemen, you need the Word of God. There's no way out of the Word of God. You know, again, you see St. Paul. St. Paul, any statue of Paul has a what? Do you know? He has a sword. Right? You go to uh, St. Paul outside their walls in Rome. You know, a lot of times, like we have a statue of St. Paul in our church, and he has a sword like this. You go to St. Paul outside the wall in Rome, St. Paul has a sword and it's like this. Because, gentlemen, if you're going to be a man, you're going to have to protect your family. You're going to have to protect your heart. You're going to have to protect your nation. So you need a sword. And the Word of God, the Word of God says, is a two edged sword. So you need to come equipped. You need to have a weapon. And so, gentlemen, you need to get into the Word. This is not an option. You know, it's not like, well, Father, you know, that's not my thing. Well, I really don't care what your thing is. I'm telling you what it needs to be by God. St. Jerome says, ignorance of the Bible is ignorance of Christ. You know, a lot of guys come to me and say, Father, what? God doesn't talk to me. 
I said, come here. Whack! God doesn't talk to you. I said, God's always talking to you. What's the problem? You're not listening. You know, again, my big thing with the boys at Cathedral Prep, I taught all boys for 600, uh, for eight years, anywhere from 650 to 700 boys. One year we had 666 boys. Six, 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 the sign of the Antichrist, huh? So we got rid of one the first week, get rid of that number. But anyway, we were state champions in everything, huh? We were state champions in football, baseball, basketball, hockey, swimming, everything. You know, we had Bobby Sanders there who's, nobody cares about him anymore. But when he was winning in Indianapolis, he was like, God, ooh. And so all these kids, every year we were state champions in everything. And I'd walk in there every year because my big fight every year, and I can see it's going to be here too. What's more important, sports or God? God, isn't that nice? Prove it to me, gentlemen. Spend as much time watching, spending time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament than you do watching football, then I'll believe you. Because until you do that, you're just like, oh yeah, God's most important to me. I go to church when I feel like it, 45 minutes to an hour once a week, but I will spend hours watching a miserable football game. Oh, there, look at me, Father. Shut up, I don't wanna hear it. And so that's what I do with my guys every year. I'd say, gentlemen, what are you gonna do this year? We're be state champions, Father. I'd say, ooh, what are you going to do to me to prove to me you're going to be state champions? You know what they did? And they still do. They would practice minimum four hours every day. Can you imagine throwing a football four hours, hitting each other for four hours, hitting a hockey puck for four hours? The swimmers had to get up at 4.30 in the morning just to get to the swimming pool so they could be state champions. We beat Central Bucks West about 15 years ago, and we became, sent, we became the state champion football team of Pennsylvania. We beat them in Hershey. Huh? My boys, 10 of them, got full scholarships into college, right? And they were something, look at where everything, ah! Now, if I was to ask those same kids, you know, and I'd say to them, gentlemen, you know, it doesn't really matter. What do you mean? Because one day you're gonna be my age and you're gonna tell your sons, when I was your age, son, I was a state champion football player. And the kids are gonna look at you and say, oh, shut up, dad. You're just fat and bald now, nobody cares, huh? And yet all this time and energy, right? All this time and energy. If I'd walk in every year and I'd say, gentlemen, what are you gonna do this year? And if they'd say, we're gonna be state champions, father. And I'd say, what are you gonna do to me to prove to me you're gonna be state champions? And if they would say, well, we're gonna go to practice for 45 minutes to an hour every week, depending on who the, co uh, depending on who the uh, coach is, and we're gonna have good thoughts about the game. I'd say, you will suck, gentlemen. Let me give you a hint right here. And yet every year I'd walk into those kids and I'd say, gentlemen, you want to go to heaven? Yes, father. What are you doing to prove to me, gentlemen, you want to go to heaven? You know what they'd say to me? You're going to be surprised. Oh my gosh, you're going to be so surprised. They'd say, well, we're going to go to church for once a week for 45 minutes to an hour, depending who the priest is. And we're going to try to be good men. Wrong answer, gentlemen. I say, you really think God is Barney? You know, Barney, the big purple dinosaur. I love you. You love me. So God's this big purple dinosaur in the sky. And he says, listen, you want to be a good football player, good basketball player, good hockey player? You want to be a good golfer? You want to be someone who's a good swimmer? You want to be someone that works out every day and wants to be healthy? You want to make money? Well, you're going to have to work hard, 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 hard. Four hours a day, 10 hours a day, make money. 80 hours a week sometimes. You want to be a millionaire? It's going to kill you. Hurt, hurt, hurt. But to go to heaven? Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me, says God. Don't get mad. C -c 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 
could you try to go to church once a week when you feel like it? Don't get mad. I know it's, you might want to go golfing instead. It might be a good day. But could you try to go to church on Sunday? And don't get mad. Don't get mad. Could you try to be a good person? Wrong answer, gentlemen. Do you think that the God of the universe says you're going to have to work really hard to be a football player, to be a good team? It's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to practice four hours a day. But to go to heaven, hey, I don't care. Just try. Just try. That's a lie, gentlemen. Let me all give you a hint right here. And this is the truth, as truth as I can tell you. The truth is, the day you drop dead, bang, you all drop dead right there. Heart attack, dead. The God of the universe is going to look at you and say, I love you very much. And because I love you so much, I will now give you what you love the most forever. Huh? And if that's anything other than him, that's what he's going to give you forever. For some of you, it's going to be golf. Huh? And when you go to hell, and you will, you're going to sit there and they will have golf courses there, but there will be no holes in any of the courses. Not one hole, not one, nothing. But you can play golf forever. For some of you, it's going to be football. I can already tell. You're going to be able to watch football forever. <laughs> but your team will always lose. I'm just telling you. Some of you already experienced that now. But the reality is this. The greatest of all things God's going to give you because God is love. And if you don't give God time every day, if you fit God into your day, let me give you a hint, gentlemen. You're not going to make it. I don't care you're sitting here today and all proud of yourself. It doesn't really matter. You have to sit there. When you die, God's going to give you what you want. You know, when I taught scripture, and I did teach scripture to boys, my very first scripture verse I ever gave them, <laughs> you're going to hate it, but I want to share it with you. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Now, this is according to Jesus Christ. When most people, when they die, do most people go to heaven or hell? Hell. Oh, where does it say that, Father? Well, let me share with you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This is the very first thing I ever made my kids memorize. Isn't that nice? Enter through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to damnation is wide. The road is clear and many choose to travel it. Aha, verse 14. But how narrow is the gate that leads to life? How rough the road and how few there are who find it. Huh? How few there are. Gentlemen, just like in football, baseball, and anything else, only one person gets to get the championship. There's thousands of people to play the game, but only one team makes it. How few there are who get the state championship. How few. But you got to put all the time and energy into it. How few there is to get to heaven. Like I consider myself, gentlemen, a spiritual coach. Huh? You know, if you get a football coach and you go to your coach and you say, okay, coach, what should I do? Tell me, what should I do, coach? And your coach looks at you and says, I like you just the way you are. Just try to just come to practice when you feel like it once a week and try to have good thoughts about the game. What would you do? Get the hell out of here. What kind of coach are you? You'd fire the coach. I bet you. I promise you. And yet that's what we want from our priest, isn't it? Oh, God loves you just the way you are. You know, just show up here. Would you give some money? He'll love you some more. Here, give me some money. Oh, God loves you. You get to go right to heaven. That's a lie. 
Gentlemen, God wants the best out of you for him. He doesn't want what you have left over after you watch your football game. He wants the best. Him first. Everything else second. Is that the way you live? Because, gentlemen, that's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm here to kick you in the butt because some of you need a kick in the butt. Because you keep going and doing the same old, same old. You know, if you're not growing, you're doing what, gentlemen? You're dying. So if I was to ask you, let's look at your life from last year, Palm Sunday, to this year, today, tomorrow, Palm Sunday. Have you grown spiritually? And can you show me explicitly, write it down, how you have grown spiritually? And if the answer is, oh, no, Father, I'm pretty much the same as I was last year, a year ago. Well, you've been spiritually dead for a year. Hey, I go to church on Sunday. I didn't ask you if you went to church. I said, have you grown in your spiritual life? Do you know Jesus more intimately today? Because, gentlemen, I am convinced, and you better know it, that within the next 10 years, we're going to have great tribulation. Great tribulation. And God's going to call you to add and give up your life for him. And it's going to be a daily thing, huh? Like this morning, when you get to the reason the word of God, I'm going to tell you. you get a, like I keep my Bible next to my bed stand, huh? Now at home, I keep a gun loaded, shotgun under my bed. But I keep a Bible next to my be- bed stand. I really do. I'll give someone absolution. They break into my house. I'll give it to them before they die. I'll go right to heaven. But anyway, so. But I also keep the Bible right next to me, huh? Now, I went the word of God. So I have a thing. No Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. I love to look at some of your faces. Some of you look constipated at this very moment. Like, I didn't think that was funny, Father. (laughs) Good. Anyway, so this is the reality. So you keep it next to you. And then before you get out of bed in the morning, you pray the Holy Spirit. And you say, Spirit of the living God, speak to my heart your word. And then you open the word of God. And then you read it. So God takes a two by four and whacks you over the head. Then you stop. You listen. And you respond. This morning when I did it, I wasn't real excited with God. I was like, well, and, and what I do is I write it on a piece of paper, huh? And I keep it in my pocket. And so throughout the day when people sit there and, you know, like, Father, God doesn't talk to me. Excuse me. He's talking to you, but you'd rather watch the news or watch the game or watch anything else. You don't want to meet him in the word. So don't give me your excuse about why God doesn't talk to you. It's because you're not listening and you're not spending nearly enough time with him. Huh? Some of you spend longer time in the toilet than you do with God every day. And when you stand before God on judgment day, he says, how come you spent more time in the toilet than you did talking to me? What are you going to say? Well, you got to go. You got to go. Well, that's very nice. But think about it. Some of you spend, especially as you get older, a lot more time in the toilet than you do with God. But anyway, today when I opened the word of God and I asked God to reveal himself to me and speak to me, he got, brought me to John chapter 21, verse 18. And I don't care for John chapter 21, verse 18. I really like 16 and 17. It says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. It's the dialogue with Peter. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. And he says, do you love me more than the rest of these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. But then after he said it for the third time, he says this. I tell you solemnly as a young man, you fastened your belt and went around as you pleased. But as you are older, it's happening to me. You will stretch out your hands and another will take you and tie your hands fast and carry her off against your will. And then verse 19 says, thus he talked about the way Peter would glorify God in his death. Huh? So I was like, thanks God. It's really what I wanted to hear this morning. You know, that I have to put out my hands and do something I'd rather not do. Isn't that against all men? Right? 
being a man wants, we want to be in charge, right? We like to be in charge of things. I love to be in control, right? But we're not in control of anything, are we? We think we are, but let's say I could be a nutty priest up here, right? I could be a complete nut. And back here, I could have a machine gun and I pull it and I go, boom, 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 blow all your brains all over the place. It would hit international news. Priest goes nuts, kills all the men at a men's conference, right? Everybody would be talking about it for years and years to come, would they not? You might sit there and think you're in charge, but you can't even take your next breath without God saying, okay, you're not even in control of your next breath. That's reality. God could take you right there. I had a good friend, less than uh, 40 years old, sitting there going to work one day, brain aneurysm, dead right there. When he woke up this morning, he didn't plan on being dead that afternoon. Huh? So we have to make sure that we know who we are. And when God calls us, he calls us to daily dying. We put out our hands and die for love of him. Now this, I was kind of irritated. I, go, I really didn't want to hear that this morning, Lord. Thank you. But then when I went to do morning prayer, it's a great thing in morning prayer because the morning office of the church in morning prayer, the reading was from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 2. And so I had this dialogue with God. I didn't particularly like it. Then God spoke to me again at morning prayer. And Isaiah chapter 65 in the middle verses, verse 2, it says, God is complaining. He's complaining. And he says, I have stretched out my hands to a rebellious people. Huh? That God wants me to stretch out my hands, but know that he did it for me first. He stretched out his hands for me and we killed him. And what he wants of me and what he wants of you is that we become men like that, that we die for love of others. And again, gentlemen, like I've talked about this, an opening line in my book is what? You're going to die. Huh? Why? Because I've always been one of these guys that I want to give up my life. Isn't it, you know, to me, my greatest heroes are all the people that go into the service. Huh? I wanted to go and be a Marine after I got ordained. I was already signed up. And then my bishop, I said, oh, my bishop was releasing me. And my spirits director looked at me. I said, oh, I forgot to tell my spirits director. And I said, oh, Pete, by the way, I'm going to be a Marine chaplain. And he said, absolutely not. I said, what do you mean absolutely not? He said, that's not God's will for you. I said, the bishop already said I could go. What do you want me to say? He said, you call the bishop and tell him your spirits director said no. Uh. So I called the bishop and I said, my spirits director said no. Gentlemen, the hardest, hardest vow is not celibacy. Trust me. It's obedience. You put out your hands and go, we'd rather not go. But because I was obedient, that's why I do what I do today. If I'd have been in Marines, I'd have been able to touch some certain group of people, but not the way I do now throughout the world. So I had to be obedient, right? But here's these men, like, again, when you sit there and you want to become a Marine, or I'm going to be speaking in two weeks now, I'm going to be up in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy. And when I speak to these young men that are willing to give up everything for God, that's what you want to do. I want to give up my life for something more important. But the problem with the church is we have been way too easy on you throughout these years. That's why a lot of men don't want to go to church. Because, oh, God loves you as you are. Just try to show up. Hey, guys, would you make pancakes? You're a knight of Columbus, aren't you? How about making pancakes once a month for us? Would you? Oh, yeah, Father, I'll do that. Shut up. God wants more than you to make pancakes for him once a month. He wants your life every day. He wants you to lay down your life for your family, for your country, every day. So, and a way to do that is I tell people at, in their home, in their mirror, you know, you put, you all have, you have to all, you have mirrors in your bathroom, don't you? You know, so every day after you're done taking your dump, you take your dump every day. 
Oh, that's so vulgar, Father. Oh, shut up. Grow up, huh? So anyway, you take your dump. Women don't take dumps. They go, poof, anyway. But guys usually take a dump in the morning. So after you take your dump in the morning, you're washing your hands at the mirror, huh? And you look in your mirror, and there should be three words on the top of your mirror. It's on the top of mine. It says, I am third. I am third. Am I boring you, son, over there? I'm just keeps yawning at me and reading the paper. Anyway, I am third. Is that the kind of life that we're living? God is first, others are second. I am third. That means every day before you go to bed, you go and you're looking and you're washing your brushing your teeth again, and you're looking and you're looking and thinking, okay, did I do at least one unselfish act today for another human being? Just one. And if the answer is no, you wasted your day in Christ because the only thing you did was take care of yourself and your needs. You didn't put other people in front of you. And so that's a big thing. Am I a person who's going to put other people in front of me? Am I going to lay down my life the way God laid down his life for me? So I often say it's easy just to do it once, right? Okay, we're going to lay down our lives. Yes, yes, yes. But will we do it by being men who have to do it every day by being unselfish? It'd be easy to have it done once. Boom, I'm going to die for it. Yeah, okay, I'll die for everybody. But to die for everybody every day, that's when it gets to be hard. And if that's what God asked me to do, that's what he asked you to do. I want a crucifix of a man suffering. Because that's estovir. That's... Can you imagine having him every week? Bring it on. Yeah, some people say that. But here's the deal, my friends. What did you hear? Is he right? He's biblically 100% correct, isn't he? You know, we need more of that today. We really need to hear more of that today. But here's what we'd rather say. I didn't like the way he delivered it. Really? The truth is the truth. And it doesn't really matter. I, listen, Christ wasn't always meek and mild when he delivered the truth. Right? Paul's never meek and mild when he delivers the truth. And yet we focus on that because our feelings are hurt. I would rather have my feelings hurt, my toes stepped on, right, Pop? And go to heaven because I knew the truth. Than to have somebody dance around it and make me feel good in this life. And as I heard what Father Richards has to say, it struck me that we need to hear more of that truth today. We're, when we look in the mirror, we don't see I am third. We say I am first. Want that to sink in your brain pan just for a minute? But we've been taught that. You see, society believes that eventually Christianity is just going to phase out as society shifts. That's their plan. That's the enemy's plan. And they're doing everything possible to make this happen. The politics of this nation are completely radicalizing to the left in order to destroy the morality of our country. Why? Because that's exactly what happened to the Roman government. Couldn't be beat militarily. But they had an economic collapse due to moral decline. And that's exactly where we're headed. And that's exactly what's said in scripture, I believe, when Ezekiel talks about it, Rome and the United States are the two nations he's talking about. And I'll bet you my pastors agree with me. Okay? We're going down the exact same path that's happening right now. 
And the fact of the matter is, Christianity will soon have very little influence. Have you noticed that already? The reason is that less and less people are true Christians. That's why. Because we're worried about our feelings or how it was delivered. It's true. And so the popular thinking is not Christian, even though people claim to be Christian. And I think that's what Father Richards was trying to say. You go to church once a week, what do you do? You call yourself a Christian? Does that matter? What are you going to do to prove to me that you are? What are you going to do to prove to God that you are? Because I look in the mirror, and I don't think it's nearly enough. And I work on sermons and messages and all the other things of the church and talking to you and, and counseling, whatever, and, and it's not enough. Because he wants a deeper and greater relationship with me. Me with him, he with me. That's what he wants. And so God has said a few things about this, about this concept, this idea. Matthew 16, 18. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How many of you knew that? In other words, the church is going to stand. And so for those people that say that Christianity is going to phase out, it won't. <laughs> it might not be very big, but it's never going to leave. Amen? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And oh, by the way, those of you who came to prayer group yesterday morning, thank you. Because you're serious about what we're doing. And I shared these words with them, these exact same things. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't think, don't believe, and certainly don't act like society. Be transformed, not conformed. Be transformed in your what? In your mind. Be transformed in your mind. Because if... You, you can't help but be transformed in your mind if you're transformed by the Spirit. Because the Spirit controls your mind now. Doesn't it? Your mind has to be constantly renewed in the Spirit. So that you think clearly. You think spiritually. And you think righteously. We must use God-transformed minds. Not our emotions and not our feelings. And somebody is going to hear this message online, and they're going to say, I don't like that. I'm serious. But this is the Word of God you're fighting with, not me. John 17, 15, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Notice what Jesus is saying. He's praying in his high priestly prayer to God, and he's saying, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's going to happen one day. But he says, I'm not asking you to do that. In other words, he wants God to let us remain in the world. Christ knows that God wants us as Christians to remain in the world until he decides it's time to leave. Amen? So we're to stay here in the world. And yet, he's called us to not be of this world. So for those of us who think that we can be in the world, but we can't help but, you know, conform to it, well, that's not biblical. And it certainly isn't God's prayer. You see, he would rather say, while we remain in it, he wants us to be protected from the one who rules it. 
And I, I want that. Anybody? He lastly wants to tell us 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from them and be separate. Now we say, oh, that's Paul. No. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. He's quoting one of the prophets. Look it up. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Here the Lord is saying that we will remain in the world, but we're to be separate from society. In what? Everything. And that doesn't mean just not going to certain places that you ought not go to. It doesn't mean just not participating in things that you know you shouldn't. It means don't think like them. Don't act like them. Don't respond like them. That's what it means. That other stuff is secondary. Because if you're, if you're not thinking like them, you're not responding like them, you're not feeling like them, if you're not doing those things, then you won't participate in the things they do. Amen? Guys, I can't put it on the line any closer than I am. As a Christian, we can and should live a righteous life in this world. Now, how can we do that if we're looking at self all the time and we're first? How, how can you? How can we do this if we're crybabies? How can we do this if we get our feelings hurt every time we don't get what we want? Or somebody doesn't treat us the way we want to be treated. Or somebody doesn't do something we think they ought to do. Or we don't get our way. And if you think it doesn't happen in the church, I'm telling you, in the last six months, it's happened in the church. It's happened in this church. Okay? So it does happen. Every single week, Maryland Community Church puts out this massive cry for help because somebody doesn't show up for children's ministries because their feelings were hurt. I'm telling you. It's a fact. Their pastor told me. Really? Do you see how ridiculous this is? You don't want to be called a crybaby, and that's exactly what you are. And I begin to think about that more and more and more and more and more, and I realize that the first line in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, is it's not about you. And I wonder how many people put the book down or threw it away as soon as they saw that. Or I wonder how many people read that, yep, yep, but then they go out and it is about them. Or they went through the whole book and said, boy, boy, that, boy, that's a great book. Okay, so what are you doing about it? Probably not very much, you see. And I want to add to this book a little bit. I noticed I said to his book, not the, I think Rick should add a few more things in there. He does in different ways. Now, I'm not adding to the scripture. I'm adding to Rick Warren's book, okay? Don't go out and say it's the other way. But this, this is what I think you should add. It's not about you, and it's also not about your spouse, it's not about your kids, or it's not about your loved ones either. It's about him. Because if it's about him, they're going to get theirs. Amen? If it's about him, they're, he's going to see to it that it's about them too, right? You see, we can't see him when all we see is ourselves and our loved ones. And what God meant for good, the enemy has used for bad. And that's exactly where he's got us. Focused on self and our loved ones so that God gets zero or very little. I can assure you that it's absolutely 
positive fact. And I'm probably going to, this is going to be a conservative number. I'll bet you at least 70% of the church, whether it's here, across the street, or around the world, probably 70% of the people in the church today, God is not number one. We'll claim he is, or we have intentions for him to be, but he's not. Because if he was, the church would be powerful. And it isn't. So how do we do this? How are we going to do it? For one, we've got to stop being self-centered. <laughs> and let's face it, we're taught from day one that we ought to be self-centered. I was. So were you. And it's continued all the way up to adulthood. That's the society that Satan has mastered. Make it about you. Get yours. Be number one. Yeah? And that runs contrary. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And it runs contrary to the spirit of Christ. Notice that? Christ says, no. Lay down your life. We're like, no, absolutely not. I'm going to get mine. We're taught that. When we refuse to correct poor behavior in our children, that's what we've done. And I don't care how old they are either, by the way. Right? I don't want to hear that he's one. I don't want to hear that he's two. So? I remember when I was two, believe it or not, I do. And I, I'm pretty sure I got corrected. <laughs> and you know what, friends? Society isn't the only one that's teaching us to be self-centered. Satan's teaching us that. We want to be self-serving. Think about this now. We want to be self-appointed because we think we're better than everybody else. We want to be self-indulgent. I ought to be able to do and think any way I want. That's self-indulgence. It comes naturally, and then we just simply pursue it. And when we don't get it, we're wounded, we're hurt, we're upset, and we're defensive, aren't we? Now, come on, be honest. But God says we're to serve others and not ourselves. And that's a very hard habit to break, and yet that's exactly what he demands. Jesus himself said that he came to serve and not to be served. His example is what we are to follow. Listen to this, Matthew 20. Remember, Father Richards was talking about this. Matthew 20, 25 to 28. This comes from New Living Translation. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. In other words, I'm in charge. It's going to be like this. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't days you, know, you, you shouldn't do that. There are days as pastor I've had to say, I'm the pastor, that's it. Because otherwise it keeps festering and people have all these opinions, and you've you got to end it. I get that. But when you walk into any faction in life and you think that, then you shouldn't be in leadership. You shouldn't be in leadership. And I have news for you. You won't be here anymore if you think that. And I'll tell you why. Because that's not a biblical perspective. Every leader is a servant leader, period. Amen? I, I, it wasn't Christ a servant leader? Isn't this him speaking? Okay. This is what he said. But among you, it will be different. <laughs> that's why we have to be different here. Christ said, but among you, Christians... The disciples, those who are believers, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be a servant. 
Okay? And whoever wants to be first among you must first become a slave. We, see, we, we think of leadership, and we don't, we don't think sla- putting slave and leadership in the same sentence. But that's exactly what he's saying. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Father Richard's just talking about. So a question, are we loving our enemies? Are we loving those we don't get along with? Or are we taking our ball and going home? Our focus from now on, my friends, is going to be on Galatians 5, 16 to 26. We have your Bibles turned there. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. This is going to be my focus. This, in the Vigo County School System, this year is called the year of the family. I think that Dr. Hayworth is, is a good friend of mine. He, he's, he's, he's a brilliant guy with a big heart. He's a good Christian, and he has an idea to transform Vigo County. And I'm telling you right now, just because he's here, because he's a Christian, because he has these principles in mind of trying to get back to you, the family, isn't it just like the enemy to go attack the CPR program at the CPC and try to put comprehensive sex education in our schools? Isn't it? 100% it is. And there's going to be this big war, against, and they're going to say it's the church against society. That's false. It's going to be a war against good and evil. That's all it is. That's not what we're naming it. That's not, we're, not what we're labeling it, but that's what it is. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You should see that this stuff is garbage to be teaching kids. And if you want to know what they're teaching, get with me. I'll tell you on, on, the, Q, on the QT. It's disgusting. Seriously. But this is the kind of stuff that's going on. So you're the family. And I, I want to tell you, I want it to be year of Christianity. Year of the church. Year of us together. That's important. And so my focus on my leadership at both our campuses, okay, is going to be based on Galatians 5, 16 and 26. Listen carefully. I'm going to go verse by verse. We're going to talk about it. So I say, live by the Spirit. I mean, what else is there? Because if you aren't living by the Spirit, what are you living by? By Satan and his society. You have to be. Because the Spirit is the only thing that sets you free and keeps you separated from it. Yes? Remember those other scriptures. Come out and be separate. So either live by the Spirit or live by Satan. It's up to you. The only way you can live by the Spirit is if the Spirit's in you. You made a decision for Christ. Yeah? And the only way you'll live outside of that is if you don't have it. And you will live outside of it. And you will live Satan's way. Even if you think you won't. That's exactly what Paul is trying to say. Live by the Spirit and get this. And if you do so, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Because the sinful nature wants you to put you first. It always has. Amen? For the sinful nature, get this, desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit says, put your maker, put God first. The Spirit says no. Or or the, the sinful nature says no, put you first. Satan began in the garden with Adam and Eve, didn't he? Right there. It's right there. It's on record. There it is. Friends, I don't need the record of Adam and Eve to know because he does it to me. He does it to you. When you look in the mirror, you see I am third, but what you really see sometimes is looking right past it, I am first. 
Right? I know because I've done it. Because I'm angry that day. Or I've been angry that week because somebody did things that they shouldn't have done or whatever. Right? Huh? And all you can see is not them, but you. And how it affected you. Yes? And the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. Of course it does. God's trying to transform you. His Spirit is trying to change you. Remember, the transformation of your mind, the renewing of the Spirit in you that transforms your mind. Yeah? Because if you're not transforming, you're conforming. If your mind isn't transforming, it is conforming. To what? To Satan and his society. And unfortunately, the church as a whole has conformed largely to society. You know how I know that? Because we're not thinking with our spiritual minds. We're thinking with our feelings and, and making that our belief system. And that's where it gets muddy. You see, the Word of God isn't muddy. We've made it that way. But what about... It, it, that doesn't matter. Father Richard said, shut up. And I'm saying, well, maybe we don't need to do that. But we need to say, wake up, maybe. Huh? Look, look at what's happening here. Shouldn't we do that? Okay. He says, they are a conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. That's what Father Richards is talking about. You say, I want this, and so I'll go to church. <laughs> what? You think that's it? There's an awful lot of people going to church that don't have a heart for Christ. There are entire churches full of people like that. When they run in, when the music starts, right after the music starts, and then run back out as soon as it begins at the end, so they're not accountable to anybody. And when they wake up in the morning, like Father Richard said, you know, no Bible, no breakfast, no, no Bible, no bed. So he does it twice, doesn't he? No breakfast until I spent time in the Word. No bed until I spent time in the Word. I don't care how tired I am. I, I haven't done that, but you know what? That's a good idea. Put the Bible right beside my loaded weapon. How about that? Hmm? Listen, I, you know, he's he 100% right in this, you guys. I guarantee you there are some people in this church right now today that didn't spend even one morning or evening with God. Not one. How accurate am I? And you know what happened? You focus on everything else. Yourself, your work, your, your family, your children, their activities. I know that. We've all got them. We're involved in all these things. You know what I had to do? Start dumping stuff. Stuff that I really like doing. Stuff that I felt God actually opened the door for me to do. But I had to ask him permission to leave or he moved me. You know why? Because I wasn't given enough to him alone. It doesn't matter what I did or didn't do here. It matters what I did or didn't do with him. That's the beginning. Okay? Got to be there. Because when I'm with him, I'm a different person. And it changes how I react toward other people when they, when they upset me. When they do things I think is completely stupid. And they do. You know? He says, but you, you are led by the Spirit, and you are not under the law. The law of what? The law of Satan. The law that forces you to do what you think you can't help doing. What we call the law of physical averages. That's why we overeat. It's why we look at porn. 
It's why we do things we ought not do. It's, it's why we hang out with the wrong people. It's why we indulge in things that we, don't, we shouldn't be. Yeah? That's the law. That's, that's Satan's law. He's trying to get you. He uses your humanity to make excuse for yourself. Well, it's just humanity. And God said, yeah, and I came to save you from all that. I came to drag that out of you. I came to destroy that within you. <laughs> that's powerful, isn't it? He says in 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Listen to these. Sexual immorality. And some people are going, but I'm not sexually immoral. Okay. That's not the only thing he lists. Impurity. Well, I'm not impure. Okay, good. And debauchery. Well, I'm, 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 I'm not involving in debauchery. Okay. And witchcraft. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing witchcraft or spells or anything like that. Okay. Hatred. Now we take a pause. We probably had some of that in our life sometime. Discord. Not get along with somebody, they're discord. Upset with somebody, they're discord. Might be in your home, might not, but you got it. Jealousy, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Everybody in here has dealt with jealousy maybe even this week. Huh? Sometimes we don't even know it. Agreed? Fits of rage. Anybody done that recently? Selfish ambition. Do you know that selfish ambition is one of the number one killers in the church? I want what I want, the way I want to do it, and how I want to do it. And if somebody doesn't do it, I can't play well with others. And when we have all the ministries we do in one church and they overlap each other, we have this problem. What I could be saying is, you know what? Yeah, you upset me. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're overlapping on my ministry, my ministry's overlapping on yours, but how can I help you be a better minister in your area? How can I help you? How can I support you? If both those people did that, we would never have selfish ambition. We wouldn't have the dissensions right there in the next word, would we? We wouldn't have the factions, would we? Because you know what we do? The people closest to us and those on our team will agree with us and we'll automatically disagree with the other team because we don't understand them. Right? That's called a faction. That's how they begin. But aren't we all on the same team? So does it matter who does what or how they overlap? No. It shouldn't. We all just want to get the same thing done. And if we can help one another get there, great. What about envy? You think somebody in here doesn't envy? I guarantee you we do. I promise you we do. I know we do. We're envious about lots of things. Their abilities, their successes. Right? Right? Why, why would we care as a Christian if somebody has successes that we don't? Why would we care about that? Why would we worry if they're better looking or have nicer clothes? Doesn't God look at the heart? See, society... And Satan looks at the outer person. God looks at the inner person. And if you're worried about somebody else looks better than you or dresses nicer than you or has a nicer car than you or has a nicer family than you or has children or not or blah, 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 who knows, whatever. If you're worried about that, then you're envious. And that's, what is it? It's simple nature. Right? And some over, but we'll make, we'll justify it, but, but, but it's different for me. Why? But my circumstances, so? 
What's that got to do with it? Nothing. Satan wants you to make excuses. So you do. Drunkenness? I'm not doing that. Okay, good. Orgies? Probably not. I hope not. Okay. And the like. You know, you notice he says, and the like? Well, that could be a lot of things. Okay. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this. Now listen. He, notice he puts envy and self-centeredness and all these things in the same thing as the orgies and the witchcraft, right? God sees them the same. We don't, but he does, right? This is, this is like, wow, this is eye-opening for me. This small passage of Scripture is everything. It's everything. If you do these things, yes, enviousness. Yes, discord. Yes, not getting along. Yes, holding grudges towards somebody. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You will not. But we're going to say, oh, that's, that's harsh. But we're not making the rules. God is. You see? And then look at this next part. This is my favorite part. But the fruit of the Spirit, <laughs> what's that? Love, joy. You know some days I don't have much joy. You know, you know why? Because somebody did something or didn't do something that bothers me. That's why I don't have joy. And I've told people again and again and again, I need to tell myself the same thing. You know what? If somebody controls your level of joy, you've got a problem spiritually. Anybody? Right? Because where does joy come from? Only from him. People are going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to wound you. I guarantee it. But where's your joy? And who does it come from? And if your children are your joy, you got a problem. If your spouse is your joy, you got a problem. If other people, what they do or don't do is your, is your joy, you have a problem. A serious one. Because you're not plugged into God. You're plugged into everything else. And God gets, and it's easy to see why God gets last. Amen? Okay, what else? Peace. Anybody want peace around here? There's the thought. Patience. I'm telling you, I look at society, I look at some of you. I need some patience. And some of you looks at me and says, yep, we need it too. <laughs> right? Amen? Goodness. What's that word? Faithfulness. Friends, we got a serious faithfulness problem in the church today. We're, we're, we are the most unfaithful society of churchgoers in the history of the church. We're faithful to our own desires, but we're not faithful to the church. Right? But we thought it means to God. Well, that is God. Amen? Gentleness. Uh, I, think, I think Father Richards probably needs a little bit of gentleness. As do I. As do others. But it doesn't mean being a doormat, neither, does it? Okay. Self-control. <laughs> Brother, <laughs> I need some self-control. Anybody? Who, who can say amen? Self-control over a lot of things, right? He says against these things, there is no law. Satan cannot use his law to control you because there is no law against him. Man, that's, a, that, that's powerful. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And I look at over a church, not this one in particular, but the church universal, and I'm not sure we've been crucified with Christ. Because we're certainly living like we're not. That's what I see in the church today. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, you, you can't have the Spirit in you and not walk in step with Him. If your steps are outside the Spirit, He's not in you. Right? That's what Paul's saying. Do I want to hear that? No. Because I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But if my steps aren't along with the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God, then something's off somewhere. Agreed? He says, let us not become conceited or provoke or envy one another. That's the second time he says envy. Sometimes we're envious because somebody's in control or in power or in command, and we want to be. I was telling Jonathan this morning, we are having a conversation. In my entire history in ministry or any type of leadership, I have found that no matter what decisions you make as a leader, somebody always has a better idea, a better way of doing it, and they'd have done it differently. I'm sure you would have, but you're not responsible. <laughs> Right? It's easy to sit in the pew and have a better idea or a better way of doing things when you're not the one that's responsible to him. Because God didn't put you there. But when he does, I think you're going to find out. So, why are we wounded? What time we got here? It's time. Why are we wounded? Why, why do people hurt us? Why are we upset and defensive? We shouldn't be. Because people can't do it to you if you don't let them. In Acts 7, 54 to 59, we find that Stephen was being stoned. Remember that story? Stephen was being stoned. They dragged him out and they stoned him. Because he told them what they were and they didn't like it. And it said they gnashed their teeth at him. Dragged him outside and started stoning him. And he prayed, Father, don't hold this against them. You know what I like to think? I like to believe that, that Stephen never felt those stones that hit him because his eyes were right here. The Bible says right before that, he looked up in heaven and he saw the Father and he saw the Christ. The only human I know would ever do it because in his mind, he was dead already. He was dead already. The stones were flying. And he never fell to one of them, and that's why he was able to pray for those that were killing him. They were murdering him, and none of us has been murdered. And all he did was show compassion and love for these people and prayed for them. That's all he did. And he couldn't be hurt because his eyes were here. If you're hurt, my guess is your eyes are here. If I'm hurt, my eyes are on myself. Right? When our, when our eyes are focused on the Lord, people can't hurt us. We're going to take communion together. I know we're late. We're going to do it anyway. And I want to ask you a question. How can we partake of Jesus in communion and still live a life like the rest of society? I, 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 if you know how, tell me, because I, I don't know. How can he be inside us and it not show? How can we self-serve and claim Christ? How can we serve self and have Christ?
You can't. Christ poured out and sacrificed himself. And when we take communion, we're identifying with his sacrifice. We're sacrificing with him. 